welcome to Deep Breath In, the podcast for GPs brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection. I'm Navjot Lada, Head of Education at the BMJ, and if you're a subscriber to the podcast, you'll have heard in our last episode, talking about obesity, that I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Stephanie DiGiorgio, GP and expert on obesity, about weight management in primary care. In that podcast, we were only able to include a small slice of what Stephanie said, but she had so much useful advice that we wanted to share the full thing with you. In this in-depth interview, you'll hear Stephanie talking about how to approach conversations about weight with patients, how to avoid shaming and stigma, and you'll also hear Stephanie offering advice on management and talking about what's actually achievable in general practice, drawing on her own clinical experience of caring for people who are trying to lose weight. So... Thank you for subscribing and here's my extended conversation with Stephanie DiGiorgio exclusively on the Deep Breath In podcast channel. I am uh, Stephanie Chidorgia, I'm a GP. Um, at the moment I'm actually working more of an urgent care setting, um, having been a partner and a salary GP and a locum GP. Um, so I mostly work in, um, within an A&E department at the moment. Um, I have a special interest in obesity which started uh, as a personal quest, um, having put on a lot of weight myself um, and seemingly unable to lose it um, or lose it and then put it all back on. Uh, like lots of people do so I developed a special interest in it that way and started studying and learning and and talking to experts and realized that there was very little out there for general practice um, in terms of obesity it wasn't a huge um, topic of interest so I, I created a sort of space within which I could learn and work and it's been fascinating um, and a very interesting journey yeah I hate that word, but you know oh, what I, I mean. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I can well imagine that um, as time has gone on, your I guess your experience and expertise has become more and more in demand. Because as um, we'll have been discussing, that you know, with um, the UK push on an obesity strategy, and there does seem to be more of an emphasis on what GPs can do um, to help patients um, and you've obviously you've done some teaching on this what are the kind of common um, questions that come up from GPs? I think GPs often want to know to start with how to bring it up so they want to know how to bring up the subject of weight with patients and if you do it wrong you can guarantee that patient won't go back to see anyone to talk about their weight possibly ever so it's a very valid and real question then there's the sort of ongoing topic about the science of obesity because there's still this pervasive thought within medicine that it's calories in, calories out, eat less, move more, um, which, yes, the laws of thermodynamics say that, but actually it's just not true. And if it was that easy, we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic across the world. So it's not that easy and it's not that simple, but lots of people don't really want to believe that it's more complicated for a whole range of societal and, and uh, stigma kind of reasons. Um, then people want to know what they can actually do. What can they say to patients that might actually help? Um, you know, do, do they refer? Where can they send patients? If you're having a chat, you know, what can you recommend? So it's a huge range of topics when, when this comes mm. up. 
Massive. Well, let's let's get okay. into some of that then. So I think that question about how do I bring it up without causing offence? I mean, there's so much to that as well. Just this thought that um, a GP feels like they might need to bring it up. It's not necessarily the patient who's bringing it up. There might be a whole range of reasons why you as the clinician might think that you need to mention it. Um, so what what's your kind of uh, best advice there? My best advice is to put yourselves into the shoes of the patient who's in front of you and think, is this an opportune moment to bring it up? So if somebody has wanted to come in and talk about the fact that, you know, they've got hideous depression or they, they're worried they've got cancer, this, just, this is just not going to be the right time. Even if you think what mm. they've got may be related to weight, we have 10 minutes, we don't have long. If you mess it up, this is going to go wrong. So, so, so put yourself in their shoes and think, right, is this going to be the right time? If it is the right time, if, if they're coming in with really bad knee pain or hip pain or, or newly diagnosed type 2 diabetes, for example, you might think this is a good time. Always, always ask permission to discuss it. We don't do that very often in medicine. We tend to think that if we feel we should ask something, it's valid. But ask permission. So it, I think it might be a good idea to perhaps talk about your weight. Um, but I understand that that's not always something people want to talk about. So shall we talk about it now? Um, and watch and listen for the answer because you will know whether that's going to go down well or not. And if it's, it's okay, brilliant, fine, perfect. You can start the conversation. If the, if you get that sort of, you know, cut this off now feeling, then that's fine because that person may, it may have come out of the blue to them. So just say, okay, that's absolutely fine. We don't have to talk about it now, but just know that the door is open if you want to talk about it. I'm not going to lecture you in the way that you might have felt lectured at before. I want to have a proper discussion about how we can help you. Um, so feel free to come back and discuss at any time. It's that simple, yet is so mm. infrequently done that way. Um, mm, that kind of meeting the patient where yeah. they are, I think, is, is really yep. key. Yeah. And then if, if, they, um, if you find that a patient is wanting to have that conversation, um, what can you actually recommend well it's not a quick chat and i think what's it's quite interesting some of the studies that have been brought out talk about a quick two minute chat there was a big study in oxford um a quick two minute chat about about weight and it's sort of that motivational interviewing thing yeah but no <laughs> if you want to discuss <laughs> you, you wouldn't do that about any other medical condition so let's not denigrate obesity for the serious problem it is by giving it two minutes so you can just start off and say you know we know that weight is an issue but it's not just a simple issue it's not simply about what you eat so when I talk when I so it may be that you say brilliant that's great we'll have a quick chat now but come back another time or we'll have a quick chat now here's some stuff to go and read come back and talk to me because when we're thinking about what we need to talk about we need to talk about um, I'll sort of do a quick summary, but we need to talk about um, a patient's history. We have to take a weight history, and that might be the first thing you do. But when you take a weight history, it's not, you know, what weight are you now? That's not it. It's what weight have they mm. been? What, what are they now? Or what do they think they might be? Is this the highest weight they've ever been? Is this mm -hmm. the lowest weight they've ever, you know, what's the lowest weight they've ever been? And a really good technique is to map their weight through their life and then also potentially map it against life events 
because we know that significant life events are a massive factor in weight gain and weight loss, but particularly weight regain. So if you if you sort of draw a it doesn't have to be accurate, obviously, but draw a sort of an up and down chart and then put that in. That's a very good way of looking to see what their weight's been, what they've tried and then when things have come unstuck in their sort of weight journey and that's a really good starting point mm. because it shows the patient mm. that you understand that this is not easy and that that's a great yeah. starting point okay and i think just to sort of exemplify what you were saying about major life events i think you know that's been illustrated by what's happened during covid-19 yeah. i think many of us from about march this year will have noticed you know things changing yeah. perhaps absolutely so, i think there's almost nobody who point. hasn't gone Oh God, I've put on weight in COVID. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's yeah, a real, yeah. it's a real issue, and and we have to acknowledge that the environment in which the person is living and working and existing has a massive impact. Okay, all right. So you've taken a weight history. Um, and we've already talked about how it's um, the science is not as simple as calories in, calories out. And I think many of us who have, you know, um, sat with a frustrated patient and felt frustrated ourselves that, you know, we've been sort of saying, you know, it's as simple as just, you know, eat, eat a bit less and moving more. And if that's not working, well, clearly you're not doing that. You know, it brings out all the judgment. Yep. Um, so that's obviously a non-starter. Yep. So what what actually should we be um, sort of helping our patients with? What advice can we give? I look at it as looking at the whole patient. So it's not just what food they're putting in and what exercise they're doing. So we know that cortisol um, and stress is a massive cause of weight gain and particularly weight regain. So we have to think what is going on in that person's life? What are their circumstances? Um, and, and take a history and see if there's anything you can help them with with that. Then sleep. Having poor sleep is an independent risk factor for obesity and having uh, sleep apnea particularly. So if you look at sleep patterns, um, do a stop bang questionnaire for sleep apnea. Um, That's another um, really important thing that you need to do. Um, Mm. Then look at their their social setup. What's their work? Um, See if there's anything in that. And as part of your weight history, you'll have asked about their family as well, because if they've had, if their family is, is, has all been big, because we know there's massive heritability and it's about 80% genetic, your risk factor of, of gaining weight. So we look at that and then you can say, right, okay, so this is something that you have to battle against. Um, but look and see if there's anything else in their circumstances in their family that might need to change. Often, often that goes along with the stress part of things we've had. Um, and then look at what symptoms their obesity is causing them or their overweight is causing them. So it's not just the weight, it's, you know, emotional symptoms, their mm. physical symptoms. Um, what are their symptoms? Because you may be able to focus on those individual symptoms. Um, so have a little mm. look at that. Um, then you need to um, talk about their activity. So... I talk. I don't talk about lifestyle changes. I hate that phrase. It makes my skin crawl. So when I talk about it, I talk about behavioural changes and I talk about um, mm. activity first. And what I always say to patients is exercise isn't very good for losing weight. So we're not talking about this for weight loss. We're talking about this for health because we know that if you become active, you're going to, independent of any weight you lose, 
improve your blood mm. pressure and most importantly shift your visceral fat which is the one that is most harmful so try and get moving that can be really hard because if you're big moving's hard and you don't want to go to the gym because people mm. might laugh at you but finding ways for that person to become active but stressing very heavily that it's not about weight loss like, that's really important and then I do talk about mm -hmm. food but food is last um oh actually before that I talk about medicine and medical problems so you know are there any medicines if you're on a lanzapine if you're on metazapine weight is mm -hmm. a massive problem and it's it really isn't your fault so look at anything that you they could be on that's an issue um and then I talk about food so food matters and yes the thermodynamic law comes into it when we're talking about losing weight but we need to do that carefully so whatever you recommend don't recommend what's worked for you <laughs> that's what we always do we always see that i've gone intermittent fasting and therefore it's all brilliant um we're all guilty right. of it <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I don't know if anyone can hear the guilt in my voice right now. But yeah. We all do that. Um, or, you know, anyone who's ever been on a Cambridge diet, one of those low-calorie diets, very low-calorie diets, which are all in the right. news at the moment because of the direct trial and the, um, right. you know, we've all done those. Mm. But then when you stop, it's like pulling the cord on a life jacket and you just go back up again. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, there is no one thing that will be better for a patient than any other. And what suits one person won't suit another due to genetics, epigenetics, lifestyle. So whatever you recommend, think about what that patient can manage. And what I'll often say mm -hmm. is, how about we just focus, if we can, if their lifestyle allows it, on trying a bit less processed and smaller portions. Mm -hmm. That's simple to start with. And... Mm -hmm. Go for weight stabilisation, not even weight loss to start with. Because if people are on an upward mm -hmm. trajectory, you just need to stop that. So yeah, that's as simple as I'll go to start with. But but they may have something they want to try that they've looked at, and that's fine. Um, but, but, you know, you have to look at changes that are sustainable for people for the long term. So it's really important. Mm. That, ma that matters more than anything else. And just on that point of sustainability, I think that's such a key thing because often, you know, if we're looking at evidence and that kind of thing, a lot of these um, uh, trials will have been done maybe at best a year if you're looking at yep. kind of a really at, at the kind of best end. But for a lot of those, when they when they do more extended follow up, a lot of that weight has been regained, and I think that's a real challenge that. Um, a lot of people will have. Um, so how how do you tend to broach that with patients? If you've taken a good weight history and it's someone who's had overweight or obesity for, for a while, they'll know about up and down and weight regain. That's, you know, that's the most frustrating thing, actually. You can, most, any, anyone who's mm. ever lost weight has lost weight and they've gone, yes, and then, you know, three years later, it's all back on again. So what I say to patients is we're going to go for stabilisation, then we'll go for between 5 to 10% of your body weight, and then we'll stop there. Because if you say to mm -hmm. somebody... Right, your typical BMI is this, and they have nine stone to lose to get there. Mm. You might as well tell them to climb Everest. You know, it is the most demoralising mm. thing. So 5 to 10%. There was a really good study presented 
uh, yesterday, I think, at a big uh, obesity conference that's going on that looked at a 13% weight loss. And it was over four years in general practice in the UK. And um, that 13% caused a massive improvement in sleep apnea, in hypertension, in type 2 diabetes. So if you can just do that much, even if you are starting at a high BMI, that's brilliant. So Mm. Slimming World, Weight Watchers, any diet club of your choice will um, potentially give you your typical BMI. Dip that, ditch that. Let's just go for between 5 to 10%. If you're up to 15, if you can, and stay there for a while, that's key. Nothing more than that. Yeah. And I think this is maybe one of those areas that, well, certainly I find quite challenging is kind of thinking about the psychology of it all, I suppose, and how, um, again, this this might vary by an individual, but actually, you know, what you're saying about setting smaller goals, more achievable goals, and the kind of uh, sort of boost that comes with achieving those smaller goals rather than you know setting yourself up for something much bigger and invariably harder and potentially less likely to succeed um and i think again this is something that i think a lot of studies that show successful weight loss interventions often in the small print there'll be something about quite a lot of psychological support as well um and that might be something that gps are kind of expected to provide there isn't much else out there is there I don't there think. isn't and this is where the sort of plans that have been in the papers and stuff from the government fail in my opinion um and the opinion of most people who know about obesity is that if you just tell people mm. to ride a bike and eat less you you haven't looked at is there a history of emotional trauma why do people eat mm. um is there a, you know is it a mood um, related behaviour there's so much of that and, and anyone who's ever been for bariatric surgery within a proper setup, um, which is what I did in the end um, you have psychology and you have a lot of psychology and you shouldn't have mm-hmm. it without it and unfortunately weight loss services in the UK at the moment are very patchy lots of places don't even have them um, but if they do psychology has to become a part of it and we can't provide that as GPs very easily when A, we're not trained and B, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm. even that, what's fascinating from people like GPs I've taught who've then come back and fed back to me, even that beginning thing of taking the weight history, looking at mapping of life events, acknowledging that it's not easy, acknowledging that weight regain is the norm. It is extremely unusual to not regain all your weight. That's that's the mm. that's the net there's a really rare event to regain it all is the norm so to ha- even have that addresses some of the psychological issues a little bit um because the patient mm-hmm. uh, it's like a weight has lifted that they're not they haven't failed they haven't failed mm. and that feeling of failure then precipitates more eating behavior um so it's it's a that's a good starting point but yes we need psychological support long term yeah, and just getting out of that cycle, yep. I guess, is, is so important. Well, one thing you touched on there is about how just the just the complexity of obesity and how, you know, although we often set it up as being something that's about just something that an individual can do and achieve um, to lose weight, there's so much more going on than that. We know that social determinants are important. We know that um, there's this massive, like, political social cultural even you know we're in a diet culture that lords thinness yep. um all of these factors are going on um so 
I suppose, I mean, you've talked about what a, what a GP can do. I mean, how, I mean, where, did, where do you think GPs fit within all of this kind of morass of stuff that's going on? How, how do we? Oh, it's a good question. The government would, I mean, I even heard it said that GPs should be ringing up all their patients with overweight and obesity and telling them they're at more risk of COVID and that they need to lose weight. I mean, I can think of no phone. I know. Can you think of a phone call you'd least like to make or receive? in your life yeah absolutely <laughs> hello it's dr De Giorgio. you're fat you're gonna die if you get covid i mean it doesn't even bear thinking about and i mean even if that were true what would you do with that information like, oh, oh i just uh, it's like i saw a thing today that apparently um gps are supposed to be phoning up their bame patients and saying the same thing it's like wow you're brown you're more likely to get covid oh i don't understand so Anyway, so the government would have us believe that we can intervene in a big way. We can't. It is so much bigger than individuals, both patient who has obesity or overweight or practitioner. So GPs can and should treat any patient who comes to them with problems related to obesity or about their obesity with respect, doing all the things that I've just talked about and encouraging absolutely they should then we need the bigger layer which is that general practice needs to accept and learn that obesity isn't an individual failing and lobby for better services for our patients within the massive societal Mm. structure in which we live I mean my ideal would be to have sort of a because we have this weird tier two tier three tier four system of weight Mm. Um, management which actually might change now because covid who knows anyway um but actually if we could do some community-based good weight management services perhaps run by gps who know what they're talking about um which mm-hmm. could then feed into other services that would be brilliant but obviously has to be funded has to be that's be the workforce for it um but we do need a bit of a change within general practice. You know, when this when obesity comes up on GP fora, people are pretty mean about patients with overweight. Mm. And I don't like to criticise colleagues, but some people are really horrible. And so we need to be, as a profession, understanding and learning the science, treating the patient in front of us better, but then also lobbying as a, as a profession mm. um, for better services. Well, there is... Um there is that I've, I've heard it being said that fat phobia is one of the last remaining kind of acceptable um isms, uh to that exists how i mean how do you think we can i i find it quite difficult to kind of approach these conversations i i think i'm sort of non-judgmental in my approach but just trying to do it in a way that doesn't shame or stigmatize people i think is can be really challenging yeah. um so beyond just kind of you know the the kind of approach of empathy um what i'm just struggling to even know what i'm asking but how what what do you have any tips on how to approach these conversations in a way that helps rather than harms people i suppose i think we have to accept that as individuals we all have sometimes our own prejudices and mm-hmm. for some people that's weight you know and whereas you know some of our some unpleasant people in society have issues about people of different colours, 
there are people who have real issues about people who 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 are bigger and so if 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 that's within oneself you have to look at that and say actually this isn't okay the other thing that I have done and when I teach it is to explain that as an organisation it's not okay either no one would accept somebody within their surgery making racist jokes but people laugh about the fat patient who came in this morning and couldn't fit on the couch and that's really not all right Mm -hmm. so challenging that Mm -hmm. so I you know I you have to have a zero tolerance to that kind of chat in your in your workplace um because it's not okay and it's not acceptable um and to say, right, well, why don't we make sure our waiting room has chairs that people who are bigger don't worry about getting stuck in because they've got arms. Let's make sure we have one couch in the surgery that's a proper big bariatric couch and not make a fuss about using it for a patient, but just say, oh, why don't we go into this room today and, and use that couch? Mm-hmm. So you have to almost do that first as, as, a, as an organisation to then make it clear to individuals that they need to... Um, be better if that's their way of operating so far then with the patient or the person in front of you and that you know it doesn't have to be a patient it could be a colleague it could be lots of people because weight is such a massive problem in society um no it just knowing the science means that you don't stigmatize the person so um you understand you know that it's not easy you don't try and tell them that you know because you did low carb high fat then that's what they need to try and everything would be fine um and it's also understanding the difference between um people who have five six stone to lose and people who have a stone to lose that's a very different scenario so you need to be aware of of sorry I'm slightly rambling but but it's 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 really important to take all that background baggage acknowledge it Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. change how you respond to the person in front of you and understand that that person in front of you may well have had hideous experiences at the when they've gone to see healthcare professionals before Mm. and not don't be that healthcare professional but also acknowledge that that might have been the case and so if yeah so if somebody looks horrified at the thought it's not because they're a lazy person who likes eating donuts it's because they've probably cried themselves to sleep having been told they have to lie on the floor for their smear test before because they'll break the couch that you know we have to be we have to think very carefully about what's gone on for that person before um Mm. so that's a very long answer to a short question but basically don't be unpleasant, <laughs> understand the science and and think about how you would want to be treated in that scenario, basically. It's that yeah. simple. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think for some reason, obesity seems to be one of those things. It comes back to this individual responsibility yep. thing where we can be so quick to blame people rather than look at all the other wider factors that have gone on, gone on Absolutely. there. Um, and then what about... Um, children in particular so children and teenagers I always think that's particularly difficult because although there's a real obviously real importance to um, tackling childhood obesity and doing what you can there it often feels like that's such a formative time in terms of forming relationships with how you eat and your approach to yourself and your body image and that kind of thing Are, are there any kind of specific sort of tools or tips for for that age group it's really complicated because the child is 
it's a function of an of the of the family so um mm. and those and the people other people in the family might have their issues as well which could look at it mm-hmm. so again i i probably wouldn't bring it up the first time i met a family because unless they'd come in about it um the other thing with children is if you intervene early it is way more effective than if you intervene late so actually if you can get in pre-puberty you've got a much better chance of making sure that child doesn't have a long-term life issue with obesity or overweight i always try and say to to parents ideally you want to get them to puberty without having too much body fat and in a child that means you should probably just be able to see their ribs you know not not skinny but you know so I and in children moving more makes a massive difference compared to adults um so Mm. I always talk about activity I don't talk about Mm. weight I talk about health um and Mm. again you have to acknowledge the parent psychology along with the child um and Mm. So uh, there's been some teenage girls I've seen. And so we've talked about periods and how actually if you're overweight, periods can be a bit harder because your hormone levels change and things. So so it's picking on the thing that will work. But again, not about appearance, about health. Absolutely always about health. Mm-hmm. But if you can get in early, key, absolutely key. Ideally mm. before six. But if you can't get in before six, before puberty. Mm, that's all so interesting and helpful thank you and then um I I mean I could talk about this for ages but I was I don't want to keep you um on on the phone for for too long but finally I mean we talked about acknowledging the child's um psychology and the parent's psychology and then in all of this obviously the clinician has their own psychology that they're contending with and bringing to any consultation in all consultations but I think particularly for weight and about food and you know this is these are universal things we all we all experience our own relationship with eating and and that sort of thing um well like how do we sort of I don't know handle that within the context of a consultation do you think I think so so there's lots of different theories about sharing your own experiences um Mm -hmm. interestingly because my patients saw me go from pretty big to small after I had my bariatric surgery they came in and went you told me there was no secret to weight loss and you're suddenly skinny this isn't fair <laughs> you found the <laughs> secret like, well I did have big surgery but and, and that's an option for you if you want it so I think acknowledging your own feelings not promoting the thing that has worked for you or dismissing Mm. the thing that hasn't worked for you as an individual. Mm -hmm. And if it's really hard for you, ask them to see a different clinician. You know, there are some things that are too difficult Mm. for us um, for various reasons. And if someone sort of has had severe anorexia or severe obesity, you know, either, either end of the really difficult life sort of weight issues... If you can't talk about it properly, that's fine. You don't have to, but but make sure they see a colleague who can. Um, but acknowledge that you will bring your own things into it, as you say, and temper that. But saying to a patient, I know, I've been there. I know it's hard. I lost weight and put it all back on again. And quite frankly, it sucks. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that it doesn't hurt and it isn't unpleasant because it is and actually I think some patients 
like that. As long as you then don't go on and wax lyrical about your latest diet of choice, it's fine. But bringing a little bit of yourself in so that they understand that you get it isn't a bad thing, in my opinion. Um, Other people disagree, but that's what I think. You were just listening to Dr. Stephanie DiGiorgio. Thanks again to Stephanie. As we can only include short snippets of interviews on Deep Breath In, we're going to periodically bring you these in-depth interviews exclusively on the Deep Breath In channel. So stay tuned for those. And for our listeners here, we're really keen to hear what you think about the podcast. You can let us know by leaving a review or getting in touch on social media or email us at practice at bmj.com. We'll be back next week with a regular deep breath in where Tom, Jenny and I will be talking all about flu. What will we need to do to get through the upcoming flu season? And what can we learn from Australia where they've just had their flu season alongside the COVID-19 pandemic? Look out for that next Thursday. In the meantime, I'm Navjoit Lada. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.